Well, it's a new year, and what better time than now to begin a new series of messages. And so I'm going to invite you to uh, just sit up in your seat and pay attention carefully and take notes if you can as we dive headlong into the book of Philippians. Uh, the book of Philippians. And the, you know, there's a lot of things that you could say about Philippians. One would be peace of mind. One would be joy and rejoicing. It's a very practical book, the kind of book that you can put tennis shoes on your theology and take it to the streets, which is very helpful for us because the Bible is alive and God has given it to us, inspired it and given it to us really as a manual for living. That it not only you know, shows us our sinful condition and how we need to come in a right relationship with God through Christ, our eternal salvation, but the abundant life that He has given us to be able to enjoy even here and now. And so for those reasons, I believe that the Bible is the most relevant thing going. And I think that we'll certainly find that to be true as we study the book of Philippians together. The overall theme for the book is going to be discovering joy. And as we look at Philippians, we'll see that joy is a very, very important word. Uh, that Paul talks about joy and rejoicing several times throughout this book. But discovering joy is something that I believe is close to all of our hearts because it seems like people are always in a quest for happiness or in a quest for peace of mind, in a quest for joy, especially when you feel like the, the rug gets jerked out from under you. You know, all of us have probably experienced that at one time or another. For some of us, Turning the chapter, turning the calendar from December to January was done with a real sigh of relief. Uh, maybe you had a relatively easy year. I'll tell you, I have, uh, I've, I've been at that place before where you're at a New Year's celebration party and you do have that sense of relief because you came through a difficult year. Uh, this last year wasn't one of those for us, but I do remember what it was like, uh, I guess it was 18 years ago now, when we were celebrating the new year together with some Christian friends, and there was just this sense of, ah, a new year, a new beginning. And even though you, you know that there's always going to be unexpected challenges ahead, there was something refreshing about turning the calendar. And so I think we all can relate to what it means to be in pursuit of contentment, in pursuit of peace of mind, or in pursuit of joy. The story is told recently of a flight from Hawaii to Los Angeles. And there was a man on that flight that had anything but joy. He had anything but peace of mind. Because after they got to about 10,000 feet, he got up from his chair, grabbed his Bible, and began to loudly read from the Bible as he paced back and forth in the aircraft and raising his voice and yelling and carrying on. And people were really concerned that maybe this guy has a screw loose. And so the flight attendants came and tried to ask him, you know, sir, could you please be seated? He absolutely refused and just got louder and more boisterous. Finally, they ended up tape ducking him to his chair. And of course, he was arrested when they got to the airport in Los Angeles. Now, there's probably not many of us that are going to carry on like that in a plane, right? But just because it looks like you've got it all together on the outside, 
doesn't mean you're at peace. Just because it looks like you've got it all together on the outside doesn't mean that you don't lie awake at night worrying. Doesn't mean that you don't have digestive troubles. Doesn't mean that you don't snap at your loved ones without cause. All things that can be indicators of a storm that's brewing on the inside. The truth is, the sad truth, is that many people are unhappy. And unfortunately, a lot of folks don't even know why. You know what it is to get up on a Monday morning, perhaps, and uh, kind of be in a funk, and not even know why. Why do I feel like I I don't know why I feel like, like I do. We live in a broken world, and I think all of us can relate to those feelings that plague us from time to time. But the truth is, many people don't have any sense of peace, and they don't even know why. There was a best-selling book that was written a number of years ago called Peace of Mind. It was penned by Rabbi Joshua Liebman. He was a young man at the time, about 38 years old. As I said, he was an Orthodox rabbi, and he just wanted to help people. So he wrote this book on how to have peace of mind. And you can imagine, it wasn't long before his mailbox was swapped. Phone was ringing off the wall. He had a maxed out counseling load. And even though he had written a book about peace of mind, he wasn't getting any peace himself because he wanted to help everybody else. 38 years old. Well, the sad fact is he couldn't take the pressure. And at 41, he died. Peace of mind. How do we find peace of mind? After his resurrection, the Bible tells us that the Followers of Christ were gathered together in a room in Jerusalem. And the Lord appeared among them. The first word out of his mouth, peace. (laughs) Wow. I think if the Lord appeared in the room with me, I would want to hear the same word. (laughs) Peace. And he showed them the scars in his hands. And then he repeated to them, Peace be with you. It's very important for us to have peace. So important that it was the first words the Lord shared with His disciples after His resurrection. God wants us to know that kind of peace. The kind of peace that will hold you up when you're going through a difficult time. The kind of peace that will be with you even in the storms. Peace. And Philippians tells us about that kind of peace. In fact, it refers to it as a peace that surpasses understanding. God has a peace for His people that doesn't make sense. A peace that surpasses understanding. A peace that you would say, I don't even know how to put into words this peace that I have. In fact, it's kind of strange that I would have this peace in the midst of these circumstances, and I can't explain it, but but God has given me peace. How many of you have experienced that kind of peace before, where in the darkest night of the soul, you say, I just can't quite articulate it. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I have peace. I have peace as a gift from the Lord. One man was told to achieve inner peace. He needed to start finishing what he had started. 
And so it was a new year. He said, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Today I finished two bags of potato chips and a chocolate cake. I feel better already. (laughs) I don't think that's what his friend had in mind when he said, you need to start finishing what you've started. And we laugh at that because we can probably relate to it, can't we? At least to a certain degree. I mean, we call it comfort food, right? Comfort food. When you're going through a difficult time, you don't want someone handing you a protein shake. Bring on the bacon, right? Yesterday morning at the men's breakfast, we had some comfort food. Bacon and scrambled eggs and biscuits and gravy. It was wonderful. Better not talk about it too much more. You'll start looking at your watch, thinking about the roast at home. But comfort food, right? We eat that food that makes us feel good. I don't suppose there's anything wrong with that in moderation. But the problem is, it doesn't last. The comfort that we get from from comfort food doesn't really satisfy those longings in our heart that drive us to pursue peace. Peace be with you, Jesus said. But how do we find that kind of peace? It's an important question. An important question that fortunately... By God's grace, there is a good long-term solution, a good long-term answer to. And we're going to discover that as we walk through this book of Philippians together. Recently, we walked through Galatians. And Galatians, what a powerful book. Very authoritative, uh, just filled with wisdom. And as we plumbed the depths, we just sat there and we marveled at the truth and the wisdom of God's Word. And yet you can also say that the book of Galatians is perhaps the strictest book of Paul, certainly the the sternest book of Paul. But when we come to Philippians, we come to a well-received, warm-hearted book, a book that just reflects the personal love that Paul had for the Philippians. In fact, some have called it A window into Paul's soul. And so it has a total different feel to it than the book of Galatians did. Now Paul had a close relationship with the church at Philippi. In fact, he, uh, along with the brothers that were with him, established this church on his second missionary journey. And so you can go back to the book of Acts in chapter 16 and you can see all that was involved in establishing this church. And so he had a very close affection for these people. They were friends. These were people that had been saved under his ministry. And uh, they probably looked at Paul as a spiritual father in a certain sense. And so this, this had a, there was a strong personal relationship with them and it was made evident in the support that the Philippians had given to Paul's ministry. You know, back in those days when you were thrown in jail, they didn't even feed you. I mean, generally speaking, you were on your own. And so you relied upon the food gifts and offerings that your friends and families brought to you. And Paul knew he could count on the congregation in Philippi. And they supported him in practical ways. Now listen, we'll talk about this more as we go through the book. But as a side note, let us never forget that love in a New Testament sense does not mean saying you're sorry. (laughs) 
<laughs> Remember that from the 70s? Love means never saying you're sorry. That is fluff. And in fact, love in the New Testament sense doesn't even mean warm, fuzzy feelings of affection. Now certainly there are places in the Scriptures that call us to have a warm affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a given. But let's never forget that New Testament love is love in action. And so when Paul is... is you know, showing us this example of love from the church at Philippi, it's love that can be seen. It's love that involves food. It's love that involves offerings being brought to help support Him. It's love in action. As we are embarking on a new year together, I want for us as a church to recognize God has called us to love our neighbors even as ourselves. So who is my neighbor? Wasn't that the famous question asked of the Lord? And Jesus went out of His way to give this beautiful story of the Good Samaritan. And basically, the moral of the story was, everyone is your neighbor. So as a church, the implications are pretty serious. If everyone is our neighbor, should not we begin with the community in which we've been placed to demonstrate that kind of active love? So let's be praying about that together. Lord, show us the needs in this community that we can help to be part of the answer that we can help to reach out, to demonstrate the love of Christ. After all, it's been said, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. We're called to demonstrate love. Can you say amen? A personal relationship with this church that was demonstrated in an active support of his ministry. They loved Paul. And Paul loved them. Well, throughout the letter, the key word that Paul keeps using is joy. Joy. He uses the word joy and rejoicing about 16 times in this epistle. In fact, some have called it Paul's hymn of joy. And anyone who's been around the church for any number of years knows this is something we can relate to. Do we not sing about joy? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Start singing that when we're just knee-high to a grasshopper. Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, that earth receiver King. And of course, one of our favorite camp meeting songs, I'll Fly Away, right? Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a land where joy will never end. I'll fly away. Aren't you glad that joy will never end there? Won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear? Joyfully singing with heart bells all ringing. Oh, won't it be wonderful there? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And this is Paul's hymn of joy. Which means it's especially valuable to us today. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that the Bible is important from cover to cover. It is all significant. It is all God-breathed. God-breathed. The inspired Word of God. And yet, when we study a book like Philippians, we find that this is one of the most pertinent books that we've been given. You see, there are some books in the Bible that while they are important, certain passages and pericopes that are not as applicable to daily life. What do you mean, Pastor Greg? Well, think of Matthew chapter 1, for example. It's the historical record of the genealogy of Jesus. And so you grab your coffee and your pad and you sit down and you open up to Matthew chapter 1 and it says, so-and-so begat so-and-so. So-and-so begat so-and-so. So-and-so begat so-and-so. And it goes on and on and on. Verse after verse after verse. And you you encounter all sorts of names that you don't even know how to pronounce. It's important stuff because it's the historical record of the Lord. We need that. It's an archive. It's important. But when you look at the book of Philippians, you find a book that is so relevant and so applicable So I would say from beginning to end, this is a book that we really want to take to heart and say, Lord, show me how would this apply to my life today? For while the entirety of the canon is significant and important and inspired and authoritative, each part must be read for the type of literature that it is. And so when we go to the Psalms, we find, yes, that's inspired. And yes, it is poetry. And so what is God saying to us through these beautiful words of the poets that he has inspired? And when you come to the law, we say, okay, how does the law apply to us today? I was talking with a friend just before church about the law. Notice Paul never said the law was bad. Never said that the law was abolished. What did he say? It was fulfilled in Christ. But it's the law. And then we come to the epistles. And the epistles are these practical letters that the Apostle Paul and the other apostles penned by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church. And so they have special significance for us. With that in mind, as we begin our study today, we're going to explore this morning two considerations. Two considerations. The first is the search for peace of mind. The search for peace of mind. I was watching television the other day, and uh, I was watching a commercial that maybe you've seen, and it was kind of unsettling. Uh, As the as the film begins, as the commercial begins, you see this this footage of a house that has been obviously ransacked. And so the the cameraman is going through this house and there are tables that are overturned and drawers that are pulled out, laying on the floor, clothes everywhere. And you hear this music playing in the background, the kind of music that you hear when you've called a, an organization you've been put on hold, Right? And then you come around the corner and you see this woman who's on the phone, who's obviously on hold, and you hear the music. Immediately you can relate, right? And then the operator answers the phone, can I help you? And the woman says, 
yes, my home has just been robbed and I need a home security system. And the operator says, oh, I'm sorry, wrong department. Let me transfer you. And boom, she's back on hold and the music is playing. It's very unsettling as you watch that. There's a a sense of anxiety. Um, This homeowner is very vulnerable and she's searching for peace of mind. A number of years ago, there was a, a shooting during the church service up in Maryville at First Baptist. We're all familiar with that. Some of us uh, here in attendance today perhaps have friends that were in attendance or maybe you even knew Pastor Winters whose life was taken that day. I mean, to think, go to, going to church, the last thing on your mind is that this would somehow be a dangerous setting, right? And yet recently, even down in Texas, there was another active shooter uh, that um, disrupted the worship. And how that causes people that are already trying to find peace and are unsettled to feel even more anxiety, to feel even more unsettled than they were before. Every year in America, two million homes are burglarized. Two million. And more and more people are purchasing home security systems, signing up with ADT and places like that. You can even go into Sam's Club now and get an off-the-shelf home security system. Do it yourself, right? By video cameras, you can even sync them with your app on your phone so you can inspect your house from anywhere in the world. People searching for peace. Some people are pursuing peace of mind, like I said, by installing home security systems. Others are stockpiling food, right? I was talking to some friends before service this morning about uh, the potential for a, you know, a horrible winter storm rolling in tonight they're talking about, right? Uh, what do they call it? The, the winter apocalypse or something like that? Some fancy name they give it every year. We used to just call it normal when I lived in Michigan. <laughs> was over at Holly's for dinner last night and she said that she had gone down to Walmart to pick up a few things for supper and the, the shelves were already being cleaned out. People going into full-blown panic mode, right? And then Ann's like, you know what? I haven't been shopping since we got home. Maybe I should pick up a few things. But then there are other people who stockpile food, not just for the storm that's rolling in, but for the anarchy that they're just sure is right around the corner. People that are investing great sums of money. People that are stockpiling cash. It's always good to be prepared for the future, but you know what I'm saying. Over the top in search for peace of mind. But even those who feel secure in their home or secure in their future, many of them don't have an inner sense of peace. They don't have an inner sense of a peace of mind. There was a recent study done by the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen to this. It found that antidepressants are the third most common drug in the United States. Isn't that surprising? I mean, you would think with, you know, the the heart disease and with the cancer and all of the other maladies that we face, that there would be other drugs that are, you know, are the most popular. But antidepressants, the most common drug in the United States. That study went on to say that it is the most common drug among people who are aged 18 to 44. Number one drug. 
The study also said that 11% of Americans are on antidepressants and that more than 60% of the people that are on them have been on them for two years or more. Now, I'm not here to say that antidepressants are of the devil. I'm not even here to say that there isn't an appropriate use for that kind of medication for Christians who struggle with chronic depression. Oftentimes, there are organic causes behind some of these issues. Um, Do not condemn a person until you've walked in their shoes. If you've never experienced chronic depression, you have no idea what it's like. None whatsoever. How do I know? Because I have dealt with it. I've dealt with it. It has nothing to do with my relationship with the Lord. I love the Lord and I try to walk closely with the Lord daily. But I will go through seasons that I struggle with great difficulty with depression. My wife can attest to that. And it's not your fault. Something about the way that I'm wired, I suppose. And yet, one of the reasons why I want to dive headlong into this book about joy and this book about peace of mind is because this is part of my struggle living in a broken world. A man who loves the Lord and who strives to be filled with the Spirit and yet living Sometimes feeling like I'm running on fumes. Anybody else be able to relate to that? Welcome to the broken world that we live in. All of creation groans for the revelation of the Son of God and the coming of the new heaven and the new earth when we'll be able to put aside all of these difficulties and sufferings that we deal with in this life. Just being real with you this morning. For other people who are pursuing a peace of mind, they turn to illicit drugs or they turn to alcohol. It's sad to note that 17 million Americans are classified as alcoholics. 17 million. It's a lot of people. Over 20 million Americans are drug abusers. And other people, well, they turn to the self-help industry, right? So you go to Barnes & Noble and you see the huge section of self-help books. And there are CDs and there are books and there are seminars and there are webinars. It's a $2.5 billion industry. And there are lots of self-help books that are helpful. I'm not going to say there aren't. But the problem is they leave you short because they tend to not deal with the deeper issues. They tend not to address the issue of sin, the issue of mankind's fallenness, the greatest issue that we have of not having a relationship with our Creator and the need that we have for Jesus Christ. And because they avoid those deeper issues, You're stuck with a temporary escape. You say, well, all that's fascinating, but really, what has it got to do with the book of Philippians? Just this. It provides answers for those searching for peace of mind. It's been said that people can argue with your theology. They can't argue with your experience. 
right? Now, you should have your theology right, <laughs> absolutely. And you shouldn't base your theology on your experience. You should base it on the Word of God. And yet, when you're talking with people in the world that don't know God, that have no respect for the Scriptures, a good place to often begin is, well, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. And begin with your experience. When we consider joy, Paul had an experience that we can all look to. Because Paul, the writer of this hymn of joy, if you will, was a man who experienced joy. He really knew what it was to have peace of mind, to have a joy, to have a, a sense of it doesn't matter, matter what happens around me. I know God's in control. And therefore, he writes about this peace that surpasses understanding. Paul had learned to be satisfied in all circumstances. And get this. He writes Philippians from prison. From prison. We just came through Christmas. One of my favorite traditional Christmas songs is the Christmas song. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. You know that one, right? Do you know that that song was written poolside in Los Angeles? It's like 75 degrees. And uh, what's his name? Torme. Mel Torme. Yeah. He picks up a pen, picks up a pad of paper, sets down the suntan lotion and starts penning chestnuts roasting on an open fire. A little uh, disparity there, a little disconnect between the location and the song matter, the lyric. But there's even a greater disconnect here. Paul writes about joy, overcoming joy and peace that surpasses understanding from a dank, dark prison cell. Wow. He must have known something about what he was talking about. He understood joy. It was his experience. Well, Paul's experience and example of joy before the Philippians went all the way back to the founding of that church. They had seen Paul in some difficult circumstances and they had seen him demonstrate joy. You go back to Acts chapter 16 where it tells the story of Paul's second missionary journey and the establishment of these churches, one of which was the congregation in Philippi. And there are three significant events that took place as this church was just coming into its own. The first was the conversion of Lydia. Lydia, a wealthy textile merchant who had recently moved to Philippi from Thyatira and she opened her home as the first meeting place for this congregation in Philippi. So she had a pretty significant role to play. And then you see the story of Paul and Silas out ministering. They're doing street evangelism when they encounter this demon-possessed fortune-telling slave girl. And when she comes into in, in contact with Paul, he rebukes the demon, exercises the demon, and sets her free. Now she is thrilled. She goes from being filled with a demon to being filled with joy. 
But remember I said she was a fortune teller. So she made money for her master. And her master was not thrilled with her being delivered. In fact, he was so incensed that he had Paul and Silas arrested and beaten and thrown into prison. And so you would expect that now Paul is going to appeal to Caesar. After all, he's a Roman citizen. And he's going to be griping and complaining about the slop that he's being fed, or or no slop at all. At least if he had some slop, he'd have something to put in his stomach. But instead, you find this miraculous prison break, the, the third significant event at the founding of this church. What happened? Midnight hour, Paul and Silas are singing hymns to God and giving praise to the Lord. And The Father in heaven responds to their show of affection and he shakes that jail with a mighty earthquake and miraculously the doors, the the, the doors, the gates to these cells open. Now under normal circumstances, people would be grabbing their knapsacks and hitting the road, right? But they are just transfixed, almost paralyzed, probably with fear about what was going on. Except Paul and Silas, they're just thrilled, right? Jailer runs in, draws his sword, he's getting ready to take his life because in those days, if you were a jailer and you lost your inmates, there was a prison break, you didn't get counseling. You didn't get a demerit in your employee personnel file. You were executed. So he thought, well, I might as well get it over with. But Paul tells him to stay his hand. We're all here which is another work of God, (laughs) that they're all there. And this jailer is so moved by what he has seen, he says, what must I do to be saved? And that jailer and his household are converted and are baptized that very night. Amazing things happening. But look at Paul's demeanor in all of this. You know, through the the founding of this church and sharing the gospel with the the God-fearing people at the riverside, delivering this fortune teller of her demon, preaching in a city that has at least two dozen cults that are meeting at, at that present time. He's arrested and beaten, thrown into jail, and he's singing praise to God. Paul knew something about joy. He knew what it was to experience a peace that surpasses understanding. So Philippians is a great book to study for us, especially beginning a new year. A new year that's going to have victories, a new year that's going to have triumphs, a new year that perhaps could have some challenges for us that we can't anticipate. So let's now lay the groundwork for living as people of joy, people of the book, people that have a peace that surpasses understanding. As we dive into Philippians in our study, we're going to get to know Paul on a more personal level. And we'll see, here's a man who had a sincere and personal love for this congregation. A deep devotion to the Lord and to the work of the Lord. He was committed to spiritual maturity, even to the point of showing concern for the enemy's of the cross. That's spiritual maturity. When you can demonstrate love and concern 
for the enemies of the cross. I mean, any of us can love people who love us. But how do you show love for people who hate you? How do you show people who how do you show love for people who have contempt for your faith in Christ? And yet Paul even showed concern for the enemies of the cross. But more importantly, Philippians reveals the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ as the foundation of true joy and true peace. It's Jesus. Philippians speaks about the attitude and the mindset that we must have if we are to be people of joy. And it teaches us how to exalt Christ in our mind, in our will, and in our emotions. Well, with all that kind of uh, serving as an introduction, we're going to take just a couple of minutes to give you some background information and then wrap up our introductory material. So looking at the background, Philippi. This was one of the better known cities in ancient Rome. It was on the Via Ignatia, which was was the main east-west corridor in Mesopotamia. It was a lot like St. Louis, right? The gateway city. We're the main east-west corridor in our region. And like St. Louis, Philippi had a thriving center for commerce. They had vendors in the marketplace selling fresh produce. They had their small shops. They had craftsmen who had set up and were plying their trades. They had a forum, which was a plaza that was surrounded by important governmental buildings. Right? We've got the the great federal courthouse here in downtown St. Louis. They had a public library. They had a public gymnasium. I was talking to or was reading a post by a friend on Facebook the other day, a fellow professor who said he had gone to the gym and he couldn't find a parking place. And as he was looking at the gym, he noticed that all of his favorite machines were occupied. So he said, I went home and turned on the fireplace. (laughs) Philippi had public gymnasiums, even as we do. Philippi also, of course, had the public baths that were so common then. Its location was in northeast Macedonia, a place that had abundant natural resources with water reserves and timber, metals. It also had extensive gold mines and it minted its own coins. Now, that was significant because it was a wealthy city and it was the wealth of Philippi that actually funded Alexander the Great's conquest of the Persian Empire. So a city with great significance. Its history, well, like many large towns of its day, it was an ancient city. It was originally taken by Philip II of Macedon, who, of course, was Alexander the Great's father. Under Alexander the Great, Philippi became the capital of Greece. But by the time of Paul... It was a Roman province. It was divided into four districts. And the people of Philippi were citizens of Rome. That's also significant. Because Paul is going to step off of that foundation and say, but our citizenship is in heaven. Where Christ Jesus reigns. As far as religions go... There were two dozen cults by the time of Paul that were practicing in Philippi. 
and emperor worship was the most common. Now, why do I say all that? Because with all of the activity, all of the hustle and bustle, all of the commerce, all of the religious and entertainment and sports and distractions of many sorts, the people were pursuing peace, but they weren't finding it. Just like in America today, we are a country that is wealthy with entertainment. And yet many people try to stay distracted because they don't really have peace. They don't really have joy. They're pursuing happiness, as the Declaration of Independence says. But it seems so elusive. And it's true that in this life, Joy and peace and happiness can be fleeting. Which is why it's so important for us to base our joy and our peace in the Word of God. And not pursue those things the way that the world pursues them. But instead recognize that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we can experience a peace that surpasses understanding and have a joy in the Lord, which is our strength. Well, as we close, let me ask you, do you have peace of mind this morning? You can. But the only way that you'll ever have a true and lasting peace is by being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And what better time than now, at the beginning of a new year, standing right on the threshold of 2018, to say, Lord, I want that peace. I want that joy that Pastor Greg's talking about. I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. And then just opening your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, friends, if you will open your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you will experience His peace in direct relationship to walking in fellowship with Him. Amen? Let's keep those things in mind as we dive into this book and really be prayerful and believe that God is going to use this text to just do something new and fresh in our lives and in our congregation. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you meet us right where we are and you rescue us and you enable us to live lives to your glory. We know, Father, that in the brokenness of our humanity, there are going to be struggles. That Jesus even said that in this world we will have trouble, tribulation. But he also told us to take heart, for he had overcome the world. And we thank you for the hope that that gives us. As we study this this beautiful book over the next coming weeks and months, we pray that you would open its pages to our hearts and minds and that you would do a transformative work in each one of us even as we grow more and more to reflect the image of Christ in our lives. And now, Father, as we worship you in our giving and we give back to you now a portion of that which you've so richly blessed us with in these offerings, we pray that you would take them and that you would use them for your glory and give us the wisdom that we need to know how best to invest them. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give to the work of the Lord.